Um, just as a point of reference, too, um, girls can go whitewater rafting, too. Haley and I went, right? High school groups are just, anyways, a little caveat there. Okay, so thank you, Haley. Um, today, we are talking about transforming culture. And what, is your, what does the front of your bulletin say? Go. We're going to be talking about the go. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, but before we do that, we are going to have a little a skit that kind of uh, illustrates this point. So we're going to have uh, Haley and Zeke Ward do it. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Sorry, who wants the handout? Oh, oh, sorry. Let me set this up too. Sorry. Um, so I think a lot of times we go through life, right, just in everyday life, and we pass by people that we could reach out to. Um, but we choose not to because maybe um, that person looks different from us or they have like an ACDC t-shirt on or they're tatted up and they got earplugs and a big nose ring or they just look different from us and they scare us, right? <clears throat> and we don't feel comfortable um, saying, hey, are you okay? Or I noticed that you were crying or those are extreme examples. But I think we have all experienced that where we see somebody and maybe we use, maybe we're on our way to Bible study, and we're like, oh, I just got to get going. I can't, sorry, I know you're crying, or you're having a tough day, but I can't talk. I can't stop and talk to you. And so we just, we fly past them. And so this skit is kind of an illustration of the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. So uh, Haley and Z. Okay, so the scene takes place, just imagine we're at a Starbucks, okay? And Zeke is just, he, uh, he is like covered in tattoos, um, he has like a ripped shirt, and he's just upset, and we don't know what for. So this is the wrong way to engage someone, and this represents Christianity and how we have the power to reach out to people, and sometimes we can use it the wrong way. So this would be like the wrong way to do it. <sighs> Lord, cleanse this place. Get it ready for me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think it's holy enough. Excuse me. I need to get my coffee. I'm late for Bible study. Thank you. Yes, cappuccino. Hurry, please. Thank you. I'll pray for you. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Are those, are those tattoos? Yeah, I, I, I'm part of Motorcycle no. for Hell's Angels. And yeah, well, it's... I'll pray for you. I'm, I'm so sorry that you have those. Oh, that, that's, that's really Me a shame. Too. That's a shame, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm late for Bible study. I, I'll make sure I pray for you. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs> so that was the wrong way to approach someone. And this would be, like, the right way. Um, excuse me, sir, are you Okay. No, I'm not. I'm so sorry. What's wrong? I just got kicked out of Hell's Angels, and they're threatening to kill my family. I'm so sorry. Um, do you want to talk? Yeah. Yeah. Can I buy you a coffee? Can I give you my number so maybe we can talk sometime? No one's ever bought me a coffee before. Really? Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'd love a vanilla bean frappuccino. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Sounds good. Wow. Yes. Is, what's this? Oh, I'm just showing you some love, sir. What, what does this mean? What, this is a cross, right? This, this is some Christian thing? Yes, that... but, you know, Jesus loves you. 
as cheesy as it sounds, it's true, and I love you too. Thank you. Thank you to our resident thespians. Good job, you guys. Good job. Okay, so I think uh, a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, but I can relate. I've bumped into some um, questionable people. I am a questionable person, too. Like, I think a lot of people see me come in, they're like, oh, walk on the other side of the street. Um, but I think this illustrates um, a tendency that we have as believers. Um, I think uh, this is, these are gross generalizations. I know there's nuance involved in this, but um, so I think evangelical Christians today in America, we, we tend to kind of fall into two, two categories. Um, one of them is this idea of Christ or cult, uh, Christ against culture, which means that as believers, we look at our culture and we say, I reject what you stand for. You don't accept me. You don't embrace my values. I am going to withdraw and become a spiritual hermit, kind of. You know, I'm just going to go to Bible study, go to church, surround myself with Christian friends and all this stuff, and the world can go to hell in a handbasket. See you later, right? Um, and to a certain extent, I get that. I understand it as a, as a mom of a seven-year-old who's in public schools. I get that. I... I can't tell you, okay, so I've told you guys, uh, one of the places I like to decompress is Marshall's. <laughs> I like the gym too, but I like Marshall's more. But I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in there and I've heard people on the phone and they're just, they're talking about affairs that they're having or affairs that their neighbors are having or they're just, or the language that comes out of their mouth. And I'm no saint, I know, but I mean, I, I'm still like, hey, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hear this, you know, Ugh. right? And so I think our tendency is to, to get our kids and our family, and we just kind of like, we shelter in place, you know? We say, oh, we're going to be safe here. We're just going to keep to ourselves, right? And um, the most extreme example of this would be the Amish, right? The Amish do this. Um, they reject modern conveniences. They get around with horse-drawn buggies. My, one of my good friends lives in Pennsylvania, and so she said sometimes it's trippy when she'll be zipping by in her Prius on her smartphone <laughs> and she sees she'll buy, she'll just pass like 10 buggies and these people are just, you know, dressed with the, the traditional aprons and she's like, it just trips me out. I don't get it. She goes, I couldn't get through my day without modern conveniences. But the Amish, they have rejected, they reject modern society and they're like, we don't embrace your values. We don't appreciate it. Okay, so that's one extreme. The other extreme is called the Christ of culture. And all this, too, real quick, is um, this is from this book called Christ and Culture, so I'm not making this stuff out. And it was by this guy named Richard Niebuhr, and he basically said there are five ways that Christians interact with um, culture. And so these are the two extremes I'm giving you. Um, the other extreme, though, is the, this Christ of culture. And it says... Um, we are going to allow culture to set the agenda for us, okay? So, um, and we so much want to be embraced by culture, we will kind of do whatever it takes to look like culture and to act like culture and to blend in with culture. And so you can see how both of these create problems, right, as Christ followers. I'm advocating that we take a middle road. It's okay to be in the middle. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> 
And the idea here, though, is a little tougher. It sounds easy, but it's tough. Remember how Pastor Josh, it was two weeks ago, spoke about how God allows us to live in tension? But the tension, remember he used the kite example? The tension, though, on the kite, the string, we have the, the, the uh, air pushing us up, right? Let's say we're kites, all kites, okay? And the air pushes us up, and the string has to have tension in it to keep us aloft. If we don't have the tension, we'll crash. And I believe God has called us as Christ followers not to live in either extreme of the Christ against culture or the Christ of culture. I believe he wants us to be people that get out into our communities and we transform. When we go to get blood work every Friday, we talk to the, the blood work person that we have opportunities to say, you know, this totally stinks, but God is good. God provides. You know, opportunities, looking for opportunities to transform the culture that we're a part of. Um, what I want us to look at, though, is uh, some verses. Okay, so we all know this verse, right? The go, where this comes from, is Matthew 28, 19. Can we get that scripture up? All right. Therefore, go and make disciples of, is it some nations? Is it just Anglo-Saxon, or is it the ones you like, or the ones that are south of the border? No, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. By the way, real quick, just because I'm a geek, I'm a Bible geek, uh, this is one of the, the places in the Bible where you've got the Trinity all present, so just a little mental note if you want to, okay. <clears throat> if you're talking to somebody and they're like, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible, you can be like, that's funny. Let me turn to Matthew 28, 19. There it is. All right, so that's your, that's your freebie for the day. All right, now, what I want us to note is that, the, okay, the therefore go, right? So go. So I think as evangelical Christians, um, we get the going, we get the go, we, get, we understand the commission part pretty well, right? Go out and tell people, hand out Bibles on a Saturday morning. Um, Janie and Steve Shogren have built an entire ministry that is dedicated to this, and they reach people. Um, and, and as Christians, I don't know, I've been on many short-term mission trips in my life, um, and I'm not saying that these are bad things, but what I'm saying is that we forget the other part of this verse. It says, therefore, go, but what's, the, what's on the other side of the and? Make disciples. We forget about that part. A lot of times we're just like, okay, here's Jesus, here's a Bible. We said the Lord's Prayer, God bless, see you later, have a great life. And in some cases, that's okay to do. But as we get into the text here, we're going to see that um, this is not what the, this text is about. It actually wants us to go deeper. All right, so uh, first of all, to the therefore go and make disciples, um, this, isn't, um, this isn't, in the Greek, this whole idea is not if you feel like it, if you have the time. This is in the imperative voice. It's like you will go and do this because you are a Christ follower. There's no negotiation. There's no wiggle room. Um, and I know this can be kind of scary for some of us, maybe if we're more introverts or we're just, we're not good at sharing the gospel with people. I'm not very good at that. Like, I think my last experience where I laid out the gospel for somebody, I told, I told him he was going to hell because he's like, I'm a good person, right? It was just a crash and burn situation. I was watching my daughter and my, my brother-in-law and sister's kids, and this guy came up to me in the park, and 
we started talking, and I just, I'm not good. I don't, I'm not very smooth at the whole, here's the, the step, this is what you do, this is who Jesus is. I just, he was, we got in this conversation about you can get to heaven if you're a good guy, a good person. I said, no, that's not how it works. He's like, well, I believe I'm going to get to heaven. I said, well, good luck with that. I said, so we just, anyway, so I know it can be intimidating, but God calls us to be culture changers, and we're going to get into this a little bit more. All right. What I want us to focus in on is this make disciples and also the word go, okay? Uh, it's not circumstantial, which means that this isn't contingent on just running out and, and you know, if I go to the, the gas station, I'm just going to tell somebody about Jesus. We can do that. God's called us to do that. But the idea in the Greek behind this verse is that we are to reach the unreached, and we are to make disciples of them. And it's not just happenstance. It's not just the people that we happen to come in contact with. We are to be a light to them. We are to tell them about Jesus too. But the whole idea behind this verse here is intentionality. There needs to be a game plan behind this. And it's not, I don't want you guys to think this is creepy world domination. I mean, I guess it is because it's, like, it's about the kingdom of God manifesting here and now. But when Jesus was um, speaking these words, Matthew wrote this, and he was writing to a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians, okay? And at the time, the Jewish Christians were very much, they were becoming uh, incredibly more uh, nationalized, right? So they were like, down with Rome, down with the Gentiles, you guys can rot in hell. We're about our community, okay? And so when Jesus says this to them, it's kind of radical because he's like, go outside the, the, the borders that you're comfortable with. I need you to go to the Gentiles that you despise, to those that you think you have nothing in common with, and I need you to tell them the good news. Not only tell them the good news, but make disciples. The whole idea behind discipleship is that you um, invest in them. You invest with somebody. How many of you guys have, um, I don't know, done tutoring, or if you have kids, you know what homework's like, right? That's a party, isn't it? You don't just, maybe you do, but I don't know. You, you don't just hit it once, and you're like, okay, Homework's done. I can't do this anymore. Like, you stick with your kid, right? And you're like, we're going to stick with it. We're going to stick with it. We're going to stick with it. Or if there's somebody that, you know, you're trying to, I don't know, maybe a person that you're trying to, to train to come alongside you at work or something, you stick with them. They don't get something, your job, the, the job that they're supposed to do. You say, no, do it this way, not this way. Okay, you blew it here, but let's go back. We'll redo it. We'll figure out what went wrong. We'll try and fix it. The whole idea behind discipleship is that you stick with it. It's not a one-time, uh, you know, flash in the pan thing. You stick with it, and it's intentional. And that's not to say that we can't, when we, you know, to go to Starbucks or we go to the gas station, we can't share the love of Christ there. That's not what I'm saying. But God also calls us to make disciples. So we're to go, but we're also supposed to make disciples. <clears throat> and I just think it's really interesting. I mean, I've read this verse so many times. But I've never realized that in the Greek, the idea here is to be intentional about it, to have a game plan, not be willy-nilly and just be like, ah, whatever, you know, whatever. I think God can lead us to people like that for sure. But God wants us to say, okay, who is my, who's in my sphere of influence? Who are people that I see regularly? Okay. There's a, a friend of mine 
this lady who's a, she's a locker mate of mine. So we have lockers next to each other at the gym. And um, we've become friends, and I really like her, and um, she teaches some classes at, at the gym. And so I've taken a couple of her classes, and so we've kind of hit it off. And she knows that I'm a believer, and so we've talked about it. But something came up the other day. <laughs> it was almost a brawl, I'll just be honest. A women's brawl in the women's locker room. <laughs> and so this person had put, this person who didn't rent a locker in our space, she had put all of her stuff, she took up the whole bench, okay? So my, okay, stop, Josh. <laughs> stop. Okay, so my friend and I both come in, we got tons of stuff, right? We're trying to put our stuff down, but we can't even get in the aisle because this woman not only has occupied everything on the bench but the floor. So my friend just loses it, and she's like 4'4", size minus zero. I mean, she's itty-bitty, right? She's a firecracker. And so she, she, she said some choice words, and then she's like, who leaves their stuff like this? And she got the duffel bag, and she shoved it off. Well, at that point, guess who's behind her? The owner of all this stuff. And the woman's like, did you just do that? And my friend says, yeah, and I'll do it again. You need to, you need to, where's your locker? And so we get in this whole altercation, and um, I really thought my friend was going to take a, a swing at this other lady. And this other lady just was not, most of the time at the gym, if people have stuff in your area, they're like, oh, sorry, let me condense. I'll, you know, I'll share the bench with you, right? They're considerate. This one was like, yeah, I got my stuff here. What are you going to do about it? All the other benches were taken. So I was like, oh. Jesus, come on me now. Let me be calm. Let me be calm. Let me go. And so my friend, so I'm trying to like calm my friend down, and I'm also trying to just speak reason into this woman who I just really wanted to just push and shove all of her stuff off. But <clears throat> so, so I was just praying because this, this was gonna this was not going to a good place. And this woman was like to the, my friend, you owe me an apology. Da, da, da. I don't hear an apology. Da, 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 da. So I was like, oh people were starting to stop and lick and listen. I was like, ooh. So I was praying. I was like, God, help me to be calm. So anyways, through the grace of God, the whole situation was diffused, and um, I haven't got my tires slashed yet, or I don't have mean notes on my locker, but we'll see. Um, but anyways, so I, I caught up with my friend later, and she said, you know, she goes, thank you so much. She goes, I'm going to go straight to hell for what I did. I know. I said, no, you go to hell for other things, not for that. She's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know how you stayed calm. She's like, it's that Jesus thing that you've been telling me about, huh? I'm like, she goes, Mako, she goes, honestly, I don't know what I would have done. She goes, if you hadn't been there, I, I probably would have shoved or pushed or something. It would have gotten bad. I would have escalated. She goes, but your presence, there was something about you that just diffused the situation, diffused me. And so I think God calls us, and she's not, you know, she doesn't speak trash about the church, but I think there was something in her background that turned her off with church stuff. She just, but she knows I'm a Christian, and so this has been a great opportunity for me to speak light and life into this woman's life. I don't always chew her ear off, and I'm not like, you know what Bible verse I read today, but we just, just through doing life together, right, just being next to each other. And so I think that's that whole idea of, of making disciples, going the mile, you know, she's been asking more questions about the church. What do we believe? And it's like, God's like opening doors. Now, but if I had been closed-minded, though, and been like, she's not too keen on church, and she's pretty vocal about not doing church, and I had not engaged in a friendship with her, who knows where we'd be today. But <clears throat> anyways, all right.
All right, so let me, let me talk about this too. This whole idea of making uh, disciples of the nations, which I think is important. Did you know that the early church was responsible for a lot of cultural and social change? Um, early Christians uh, in the, the Greco-Roman world, um, if you had a baby that was a girl or that was um, not perfect and pristine in just the right way, the Romans would take the baby, newborn baby, and put the baby outside the city walls and let, let, let nature have its way with the baby. You know, ba baby would die of cold or, you know, whatever. Animals would come and attack it. The Christians started thinking, you know, these babies are valuable. They have value. So the Christians would sneak out in the middle of the night outside the city gates, which is where the trash heap was, and they'd climb over the trash, and they'd rescue these babies. And they would bring them back to their home churches and raise these kids as their own. Um, early Christian church also elevated women. In the Greco-Roman world, you had a wife. She was just to procreate with and kind of watch over the house. There was no emotional attachment, nothing special. And, and Paul comes along in Corinthians and all these other places, Ephesians, and he's like, men, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So the early Christian church, and then also Christians, um, you know, the, the Colosseums, they used to have these blood sports, right? I'm not going to get into details. You guys can fill in the details. But <clears throat> Christians started refusing to go to these blood sports, you know, the gladiator events, because they just felt that it was, it didn't have a high view of life. It didn't place value on life itself. So they started boycotting these events. And people, the Roman government started taking notice. Um, I could go on and on, but my point is, the early Christian church has transformed culture. And for some reason, we have kind of stepped back in our day and age, and we have stopped impacting and influencing on that level. Did you know that our modern um, university system was started by monks? You couldn't tell that most of the schools today, huh, with what they teach and stuff. But just, you know, I'm just passionate about how Christians need to get back into the game. And I know it's tempting, especially when you have kids or with what you see, to be repulsed by it. But God's like, I need you to be in there to be light, to be salt, to be transformative, to engage culture. All right, let's look at... Another verse. We're going to look at uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And this, this, these verses actually follow the Beatitudes that Jesus has given. And some, some people say this is actually still part of the Beatitudes, but we're going to just handle it as its own little pericope. All right, let's read this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Okay, so we've all read this, you know, I, I remember reading this in Sunday school growing up, and what I want you to do, though, real quick is, is I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are the salt of the earth. Go. Okay, that, that, was, that was pretty weak, so we're going to do that again. Just shout, say, you are the salt of the earth. That was a little better, a little better. All right. Was it that hard? Was it that hard? Okay. All right. Now, what I want us to notice, if we can go back to 13, does it say when you become more Christ-like or when you reach a certain age of spiritual maturity or when you, there's no qualifiers here. It says you are the salt of the earth. The moment you become a Christ follower, you accept Jesus in your heart, you become salt. Now, Matthew picking this word, word salt here is not um, happenstance. It's not, oh, how cute. It's a culinary thing. In this culture, salt served a variety of purposes. Salt was used in small amounts. It was used actually as fertilizer. So you can go out later and say, we're fertilizer as Christians. Hallelujah. Okay, what they would do, though, is they would put small amounts of salt in the earth, and they'd mix it up with the earth. And something about the chemical reaction between the salt and the other minerals made this, the, the earth fertile. It released some kind of compound. And so farmers would use it. They'd throw a little salt. Too much salt, of course, kills things. But the salt, it would create this, like, a chemical reaction. It would make the salt fertile, or the, the ground fertile. All right, salt is also an antiseptic. How many of you guys have had sore throats, and then you gargle with salt water, right? It hurts, and it doesn't feel good. But afterwards, you're like, whoa. I feel clean now, <laughs> right? So it's an antiseptic. Salt is an antiseptic. Salt also was used as a preservative in this culture. So they didn't have refrigerators. So if they went and they, you know, they killed something, right? Let's say a, I don't know, a lamb, right? They had all this lamb and they only ate half the lamb. Well, how do you, you can't throw it in the refrigerator or saran wrap it or vacuum pack it. So they would put it and cover it in salt and put it in giant vats of salt. It would dehydrate it and keep it preserved. So salt is a preservative. Salt also is a flavor enhancer, right? It enhances the flavor, it brings the flavors out. And here's the one thing though, I want you guys, if you've not heard anything else I've said about salt, this is the one thing I want you to get. Okay, so in this culture, right, it's arid. It's not like Washington State where there's beautiful rivers everywhere and trees and it's lush. It is arid, dry. The air is dry, right? And so people in this culture were concerned about keeping their salt uptake up. Because what would happen is they would sweat. Let's say they were herding sheep or something. They would perspire, and they'd lose all that. Electrolytes, their electrolyte levels would bottom out. And so they knew, they didn't call it electrolytes, but they knew that their body salts, that they had to replenish their body salts. So they would make sure that they had a high level of salt intake in their, in, their, uh, in their diet, because that was a lifeline for them. I don't know about you guys, but on hot days, like recently, when I don't have enough salt in my body, like I can feel it. Like I start to get woozy and I'll reach for the Gatorade, not necessarily the Morton salt, but, but they knew that salt was their lifeline. And salt was such a valuable commodity in this culture that Roman soldiers would be paid in salt. That's how valuable this stuff was. So you take all of that and you put it together, it gives a very multidimensional, rich 
perspective on what salt is. And God's like, this is what you are. You are valuable. You are salt. You are my lifeline to the world. You keep the world alive. Okay. <clears throat> what I also want us to look at is, uh, can we go to 14? Well, okay, real quick, sorry. Look at how many times. Okay, in these three verses, six times it's mentioned about, um, I don't want to say showcasing, but being a light. Being a light or shining. Changing things up. Transforming, right? Three verses, six references to this. You think the Bible's trying to get us to pay attention to this idea of transformation? Yes. Yes, most definitely. All right. Let's move on here. Okay, so what I want to look at is uh, when it says 14, it says, uh, neither do people light a lamp. Okay, put it under a bowl. Okay, actually, let's go down to 15. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Let's think about this. When our, it's interesting that it doesn't say let your light shine behind men, to the side of men, over men, and by men, this is humanity. In the Greek, it's not just men, it's everybody. Um, and I think this is interesting. God calls us, when we're in front of somebody, we got to look at them in the eyes, right? Make eye contact with them. We're right there in their space. And God's like, I have called you to be a light in front of people in their space, making eye contact with them. I just think it's interesting. It's not this nebulous floating light. God's like, I've called you to be light. Be light in front of people. Not when it's convenient. Not when you deem it, you know, it works into your schedule or when you're comfortable, but be a light in front of people. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, that they may see your good deeds. Okay, and this isn't just like uh, where you're like, you know, you go around. I mean, you can be a good Samaritan, but you don't do it to earn praise. It's this idea of it's, there's the, you have to have words and deeds. So you can't go buy somebody a cup of coffee like this and be like, go with God. God loves you. And then get in your car and be like, up yours, buddy. That doesn't work. You have to have the words and the deeds, okay? Now, when it says, and glorify. So all this, the good deeds, are like a giant floodlight that points to glorifying your Father in heaven. What I want us to get is that God calls us to live our life, our Christianity, not in private. God calls us to live out our life, our relationship with him in front of people, in their space. And that doesn't mean we come up to people, we whack them over the head with the Bible. <laughs> but that means that we invest in people. We engage with people. Transformation doesn't happen from outside. Cultural transformation, transformation happens on the, from the inside. Let me give you a quick example. Um, there's a friend that I have who's a teacher at a school, a school district that's kind of lower economic, socioeconomic. And um, she started noticing that there were patterns with the administration, office staff. There was actually a fire on campus. And she was like, we need to contact the kids, parents, and let them know what's going on. And the staff was like, nah, they'll get a note later. She's like, it's law. We have to do this. And the office staff was like, I got other stuff to do. And besides, most of the people aren't going to be home 
you know, because the parents are locked up in jail, blah, blah, blah. Like, and she was incredulous. She's like, this is, this is not right. This mentality is not right. And then she started noticing there were, there were teachers that were getting paid that didn't have the right credentials for what they were teaching. And there was, there was corruption and cronyism. And so it took her about a year and a half, two years of praying. And she wanted to leave. We spent many times where she was bawling. She's like, I hate the place I work. She goes, why doesn't anybody else see what's wrong? This is, and I'd say, why don't you leave? Go somewhere else maybe. She'd be like, because I feel like God's raised me up to be a champion. Nobody else is going to champion these kids if I don't. She goes, and if I leave, the culture of this place isn't changing. And so she prayed about it, and God has raised her up. She's like a, a, an arrow point in the midst of this. Like she has gotten a bargaining team together. She's working with a union, and she's started to clean house. And, but if she had left... If she had left and vacated, and I'm not saying that there are times when that's not okay to do. Sometimes you got to do that. But for her, transformation, and you know what drove her too? She was like, God's called me. I, I can't, these kids need a voice. These disenfranchised parents and grandparents, they need a voice. And if I leave, nobody else is going to do that. And so she was convicted, and she's like, i got to stay here and help transform the culture. She goes, this is what God's called me to do. And I thought, man, that is amazing. And what I want us to get is that, you know, we can complain about, oh, there's not enough, you know, the movies that they show, it's all junk, blah, 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 or the, I don't know, theater productions, they're just, they're just so racy, or the music we listen to is just so sexual, so sex, you know, filled with sexual innuendo, all this stuff, right? Well, guess what? Here's what I'm challenging you with. Let's raise up people. Let's encourage our kids. Let's be people themselves that go into the music industry maybe or the education field or the music industry, and the, the, the movie industry, the theater field. Why, let's, write, let's start being the, the ones that transforms that instead of saying we're going to just listen to our Christian music and watch our Christian movies, which is fine. But it's not okay to withdraw because you know what happens if we do that? We create a vacuum. And guess what? The world's going to do what the world's going to do. You know, I gave you the example of the rotting meat or the meat, right, in ancient Eastern culture, right? If they didn't put it in salt, it would just rot, right? And as Christians, we get so frustrated. We're like, oh, the world's so corrupt. The world is so this. It's so, you know, driven by lust. Well, guess what? Yes. That's what it looks like without salt and light. The world is going to do what it's going to do. That's its nature. Unless we come in as salt and light and we say, hey, why don't we try this movie script? Let's try writing lyrics like this. Oh, I'm an educator. I'm going to try changing things up and doing this. Instead of being reactive, we need to be offensive and jump in. And we see this over and over, and especially in these verses that I've showed us. I think it's important to note that. Um, I want to read a, a quote to you guys <clears throat> from this guy, and he's, um, and, uh, real quick too, um, he's, his name is Michael Madden, and he wrote this book, it's called Turn the World Upside Down. But maybe you're like, well, Mako, these are, these are, okay, so you want me to transform my culture in the name of Jesus, that's great, but how do I do that? Well, you can talk to Janie Shogren for one. Janie, raise your hand. Pastor Janie. All right. There's a ton of ways. Let me just give you some basic stuff. Um, one of the girls that goes to the Claremont Colleges, right? The Claremont Colleges do not 
they're all for education, right? And if you're a smart enough person, you don't believe in God because that's for weak people. So she, this, this girl, this young lady, has her work cut out for her. So what she has started to do, instead of trying to debate people into belief, she has started to, she started this thing where she's like, I'll tell you what. She's like, I'll read a book that you give me if you read a book that I give you. And she has started this with a couple of her friends. And so she's given mere Christianity to this one guy. And he is not the same. Like, he's ruined. Like, he's just like, oh, I got so many questions now. He's like, I just was so set on not embracing, you know, religion was for, you know, the intellectually weak-minded, da, da, da. And, and so they've been engaging these conversations. They're having these deep conversations about God and faith. And it's because she was able to kind of, you know, engage the culture that is there. <coughs> and I think that's what God calls us to do. We've become cultural hermits in some respects as believers, right? We recoil. We're like, ooh, that's icky. Or if we see somebody like this, it's the ziki play that's tatted up. <laughs> Maybe he's got earplugs, he's got a nose, a bull ring here. We're like, uh, not my cup of tea. Jesus is like, I, I don't care. I don't care if you even drink tea. I said go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And so let me read this quote to you guys <clears throat> from this guy, Michael Madden, from Turn Your World Upside Down. And I know, let me just say this too. I think this church has done an amazing job with going out in the community, you know, through kid care and getting the kids that live in, you know, these horrendous, living situations in these motels and building them up and saying, you, you have a different choice in life. You don't have to do this. You know, going to Africa and feeding the orphans, taking care of AIDS babies, going to Haiti, taking care of the destitute. Because this is what it means to transform culture is that we bring the kingdom of God here. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, uh, <clears throat> what's the first line? You guys remember? And thy kingdom come. We forget our job as Christians isn't just to convert people or to lead them to the Lord. We're to usher in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God about? It's for restoring those who have been robbed, those who have been downtrodden. It's giving those who, who are down and out a hand up. All right, let me read this quote to you guys. The local church is operated, and can I have the, sorry, the band and the ushers come up while I read this? Uh, the local church is operated more like a cruise liner than a battleship. It is like a floating buffet with all-you-can-eat or drink Christianity. On a battleship, you will find people who are always on the alert, focused, and ready to attack or repel the enemy. Whereas on a cruise liner, the people are focused entirely on themselves and their own pleasures. If you were to sound an alarm and warn over the loudspeakers, those on the cruise liner that they were under attack by pirates, most of the people on board would not even stir from their deck chairs. They would merely say, what? That can't be right. This is the love boat. And I think as the church, a lot of times we're, we're lulled into this false sense of security. We're like, we're on the love boat. But God's like, no, I need you guys to act like you're on a battleship. I need you to go out and transform. All right, let's go ahead and pray. We're going to have uh, Jonathan who's my cohort with the college group, um, pray over the offering. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the message that Mako brought to us this morning. 
pray, Lord, for this offering that we're about to collect, that it would go out and be salt and light outside of these walls. <clears throat> Lord, uh, I just pray that blessing over the offering and the, the people here as well. In your name we pray.